Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are with us in person, are joining us via live stream, or watching on demand at some later date, we're glad for the opportunity to worship with you today. If you are part of our Dayspring family, welcome home. If you are new to Dayspring, we want you to feel like you've come home as well. When you think about it, it's amazing that through the gift of technology, we can connect to one another regardless of location and worship together. No matter when or where you are watching from, we're glad you are here with us. Here at Dayspring, we believe nothing is more important than your spiritual growth. We are committed to helping you thrive no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. Perhaps you're just curious about church, or maybe you're just looking for some hope. Maybe you don't know why you're here this morning. That's okay. Bring your questions and your doubts. You are welcome here. Your journey matters to us, and we would love nothing more than to walk with you. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church or by checking out our Facebook page. I'm Chris Voigt, lead pastor at Dayspring. I'd love to connect with you if you have questions about today's message or about the next step in your spiritual journey. If you want more information about Dayspring and getting connected into our community, I'd be glad to help you do that as well. To help you get the most out of the message today, we've prepared some discussion questions to help you process what you are learning on your own or with others. You can find the discussion guide in our resources section of our website. And now, let's worship together. Now, my parents, who happen to be here this morning, are wonderfully kind and loving people. Growing up, I was essentially an only child. My siblings are all half-siblings who are much older than me, and they had already grown up and moved out since I was a kid. So since it was just me at home, uh, my parents and I were and are very close. In fact, they were so close that I could read them like a book. Or at least that's what I thought, right? (laughs) Now, my friend Rex lived up the street across from the school field, and we spent a lot of time together at each other's houses. And of course, like most kids, I had chores that needed to be done before I was able to go see him. But what kid wants to do chores, right? (laughs) So I would go to my dad and ask if I could go hang out with Rex. And he would ask if I had done my chores, and I would say, yes, dad, I completed all the chores mom asked me to do. And my dad was a busy guy at the time. If he wasn't at work, then he was in his shop building furniture or building like the best tree house in Oregon for me. I had the best one. It was cool. Love you, dad. (laughs) He wasn't really listening carefully to my answer at the time, though. So he said, go ask your mother, right? And he would, that's what he'd say. So I would go off and find my mom. Well, dad said I can go to Rex's house now. And she would ask if I had done my chores. And I would say, Yes, Mom, I completed all the chores that Dad asked me to do. Then she would stare into my eyes, trying to see and find out whether or not I was telling the truth. After realizing it wasn't much use, she would send me off and consent. I had won! I cheated the system and I had gotten my way. Now, I call that resourceful if it wasn't so dishonest. So kids, don't try this. It doesn't work, right? For me, this like, worked like once or twice in my whole lifetime. And the 
consequences caught up to me, which resulted with even more chores to do, so it doesn't really work, but I was trying to play the pick a parent game and trying to work the system for my benefit, trying to get the results and responses I wanted. Now, I think we've all been guilty of doing that in various situations in our own lives. Perhaps it's spending hours absorbed in the news every day, but only spending maybe 10 minutes reading your Bible. Maybe your credit card spending is a bit out of control this month, so you skipped out on your tithe in order to pay the bill. Or your phone rings. It's your mother-in-law or that neighbor who always wants to borrow something or that friend who is so needy. So you roll your eyes, you look at the phone, you sigh real big, and then you answer like you're so glad to hear them. Oh, Carol Ann, yeah, it's so cool to hear from you. When what happens on the inside is different from how we behave on the outside, Houston, we have a problem. So whether you're here in the room or again, watching online, if you are a believer, it's either sin or Jesus. And the reality, it, it just can't be both and. As a Christian, it's the way we live our lives that shows whether we truly follow the way of Jesus and not the way of the world. There should be obvious indications, character traits that set us apart from the world and the life of sin that keeps others in bondage. Now we are in week seven of our series on the letters of the Apostle Paul called How to Recognize a Christian. If you're just joining us for the first time today, you can go to our website, our YouTube channel to watch all the previous sermons. Uh, the first two chapters of this relatively short book are packed with so much truth. We've learned a ton so far and you should definitely watch them, but stick with me right now. Now, last week, Pastor Chris introduced us to chapter three, and we started this series seven weeks ago, and we're only on the third chapter of, again, this relatively short letter that just shows how densely packed the truth of 1 John is and how important it is to, like, lean in this morning so we can get as much wealth as we can from the text. Now, so far, John has emphasized that we have been born of God and we're now his children. That we're walking in the light and we're practicing righteousness. Then that's clear evidence that we are God's children. Now, we're onwards in chapter 3. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 3. And John shifts his emphasis here to show how being a child of God is incompatible with living a life of sin. So again, whether you have that physical Bible or a Bible app, 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 4. 1 John 3, 4 says, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. Okay, before we get even any further in the text, I think it's important to define our terms here. And John is going to talk about sin quite a bit in this passage. And it's important to understand what sin is and what he means by God's law here in verse 4. So let's start by identifying what he means when he uses the word sin. Now in the original Greek, the word sin or amartia means to completely miss the mark. It was used at one time as like an archery term meaning to miss the target. To, to sin is to miss that for which God has designed us which is absolute perfection. 
It is rebellion or defiance against God and his plan for us. And we sin a lot as humans. No matter how much we try, we can never hit that target perfectly, consistent, consistently, every time. You just can't. Sooner or later, we will miss. Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed by eating fruit from the one tree God told them not to, we are infected with sin. Adam and Eve sinned. They missed the mark. They failed to follow God's instructions and instead did their own thing. One commentary defines it this way. It says, sin is nothing less than personal treason against the sovereign of the universe. And sin, this is not like a one-time thing. We do commit sins, which can be one-time choices of rebellion, but sin as a whole has a way of establishing itself in our hearts, becoming a habitual rebellion against God's ways. And we will see throughout our passage today three characters. We'll see ourselves, Jesus, and Satan. It turns out we ourselves have a pretty big problem on our, on our hands. Because of sin, which separates us from God, who is holy, we are all destined for hell, which is eternal separation from God himself for all of eternity. In short, we are all doomed. And this is the reality for every single person as a result of sin. So let's just pick it back up in 1 John 3, 4. Read the, read the whole passage, uh, this time in the NAS, NASB translation. It says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So we are sinful, rebellious outlaws. No matter what a person's outward actions are, a sinner's inward attitude is one of lawlessness. Now, here, John isn't talking about breaking the Old Testament law, but rather about a habitual lifestyle of living outside of the boundaries of what is right and what is good, living in opposition to the law of love. See, God has a plan for your life. You were created for a reason. Knowing and understanding and living out that plan is the best way to live. See, I feel like I see this in, like, kids pretty often. Like, when you ask your daughter to stop kicking the back of her brother's seat in the car, right? <laughs> you tell them to stop, otherwise you're going to pull the car over. So she stops, but you can just see it in her face. She's still kicking her brother's chair in her heart. You can just tell. Rebellion! That's the essence of sin. And throughout the rest of John's letter, he is referring back to the last chapter about the spirit of the Antichrist and those teaching against the way of Jesus. These people are the prime example of lawlessness. Their allegiance is to someone other than Christ. They purposely lead other people away from Jesus. So let's continue back. Verse 5. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins. There is no sin with him. So let's read 4 and 5 together. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, and for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. The first noun in this passage, everyone, refers to all people, including us today. Continuing on, John now identifies Jesus and the purpose for which he came to earth. You see, the power of sin holds all of creation captive. 
In our own strength, we are powerless against it. We need a deliverer, a rescuer, a hero. And when Jesus started his ministry up at around age 30, it wasn't really a mystery why he came to earth at that time. It was even loudly announced right before Jesus was baptized. You can hear John Baptist, the, his words here. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The problem has been presented, and now the answer is here. God provided that for us through Jesus Christ, the one who is both fully God and fully man. We are sinful, and Jesus is that answer. There is no sin in him. He lived a perfect life, never once missing that mark. Then he gave his life, the perfect sacrifice, to pay for our sin debt so that we could be free from the power of sin. See, Jesus was bruised, he's bloodied and crucified on a cross on our behalf. His death was the ultimate sacrifice. Though it's true that he begged his father for a way out, a different plan, there was no rebellion in him. He started and finished his life the way his father wanted, perfectly obedient, fully surrendered to his father's will. The name Christian that we adopt means little Christ because we are all to be reflections or images of him. We are to live the way Jesus lived because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And once we accept Jesus as Savior in our lives, our sin is forgiven. We have the promise of eternal life in the presence of God, and we are filled with the power to walk with freedom and that God has given us. Amen? And yet, we still sin. As believers, the result is this spiritual conflict between the power of Christ's righteousness that dwells within those who are saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit and this old tendency towards sin, which Paul often calls the flesh. Pastor Warren Wearsby shares this illustration that I really think puts it well. He wrote, a Native American believer put it this way. I have two dogs living in me, a mean dog and a good dog, and they're always fighting. The mean dog wants me to do bad things, and the good dog wants me to do good things. Do you want to know which dog wins? The one I feed the most. John has a lot to say about our fleshly desires in this next verse, so let's continue on in verse 6. He writes, Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. John started this letter by contrasting light and dark, that God is light and we are to walk in the light. And Pastor Chris expanded on this metaphor by comparing us to light bulbs and how often we feel like a dim bulb, but with Christ, we are fully bright. Christian, the light is on. As Jesus said, he is the light. There's no going back and turning that switch off. And that's what John means here when he says that we will not sin. Once you are saved, your eternity is secure and your identity changes how you live. You cannot continue in Christ, to live in Christ, and continue to sin. And John Stott said this in his commentary. He said, if Christ appeared first both to take away our sins and to destroy the devil's work, 
And if, when he appears a second time, we shall see him, and in consequence, we shall be like him, how can we possibly go on living in sin? To do so would be to deny the purpose of both his appearance. See, John's goal in this passage is to provide clarity for those who are truly saved and to call out the pretenders and guide them to salvation. And understanding who John is like writing to will help bring clarity as we work through the rest of the passage today. So first, there are fully assured Christians, those who profess Jesus as Lord and live according to God's ways. Second, there are Christians who are struggling with their assurance, those who profess Jesus as Lord, but are unsure if his ways is the right way in their life. They still struggle and cling to some fleshly desires, but they are saved and they're going to heaven. Third, there are falsely assured non-Christians. These are those pretenders, those who profess Jesus, but are living the way they always have. There's no change, there's no growth, there's no evidence, there's no fruit in their lives. And fourth, full known non-Christians, those who don't follow the way of Jesus or even claim to. They follow false religions that focus on self, self-denial, self-improvement, self-reliance, or they just don't believe in God at all. And this passage of scripture focuses on that third group, those who are falsely assured non-Christians. The scriptures are written for anyone to apply to their lives, but John's goal here is to shock those who think they are saved, but aren't the but need to wake up and to truly repent. So let's read verse six again, uh, but in the New American Standard Version. Uh, The wording of this version really provides us with additional insight throughout this whole chapter. So verse six says, No one who remains in him sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. John isn't talking about a believer who commits a sin, but is rather talking about a lost person who has no power of the Spirit to wage warfare against the flesh. Someone who has no recourse to receive the forgiveness of Christ. Their life is characterized by sinfulness. It's their identity they are a lost sinner. And God expects a true believer to sin less, not to sin habitually. I, their mantra is, I will not make sin my normal practice. I will no longer love sin. I will hate sin. I despise it. Now, if you can't say those words this morning, then you may be a part of the audience that John is talking about here. Because there is no sin, in, because there is sin in the world, and there is no way to perfectly, perfectly escape being impacted by it. To say we're sinless, to go back to John chapter 1, would make us liars. So let's go back for a minute in our heads and think back to 1 John 2.24, which is all about abiding in Jesus. To abide means nothing comes between you and Jesus. No one who abides in Jesus lives in a habitual pattern of sin. And vice versa, those who do not abide in Jesus have never known what it means to have salvation through him. So as we continue, 1 John 3, let's continue in uh, verses 7 and 8. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. 
When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So here John circles back around to the power of the spirit of Antichrist, those who deceive others, uh, those who is, whose goal is this like rebellious alignment uh, with the third figure that we're introduced here in the scripture, the devil, rather than God. This is not just law-breaking at that point. It's flying in the face of God's ways in a very deliberate way, in a satanic fashion. And we are to be uh, on guard against false teaching uh, consistently. The command to not be deceived implies that we are to be actively persistent in our vigilance, to be on guard when we need to protect our doctrine from being influenced by false teachers. But we also must guard our morals. How we live our lives must match with what we say we believe. And John's argument is that deception is defeating, it's defeated by righteous living. Those who are righteous and are born again in Jesus will live out righteousness because it's their identity. It's the core of who they are. If the fleshly desires of sin are our personal internal enemy, then the, the devil is our external enemy. He is the father of lies. Those who continue to live in habitual and constant and consistent sin are not of God, but of the devil. The Greek name given to this figure, devil, means the accuser, and then the Hebrew counterpart means adversary. These adjectives describe who Jesus, Jesus was up against and who we continue to grapple with. His main goal is to oppose God and God's people. From the very beginning, Satan has been a sinner and Jesus came to destroy his deceptive and destructive ways. Hey, Jesus won. The Son of God came to earth and through his death on the cross, defeated sin and death. Satan's work has been rendered powerless. This is like a mic drop moment for Jesus, right? It is finished. To be clear here, though, that destroy does not mean like annihilated, but rather to render inoperative, right? To take all power away from Satan. He's still an active participant in the world and still causes chaos and evil, but he is no match for the power of God. The enemy is defeated. But if he can get you to believe otherwise, he gains a temporary victory. John begins this passage referring to his audience and to us using the tender phrase, little children. It's a term he uses more than once in this letter to communicate a gentleness in his instruction and his correction. But I also think it's intended to refer to us as actual children. So let's continue to read in verse 9 and really understand why we are called God's children. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them so that they cannot or they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. I mentioned at the beginning of this message about certain characteristics that distinguish Christians from others. And here John identifies the primary characteristic that sets Christians apart. They do not make a practice of sinning. 
Why? Because of new birth, right? A complete change of identity has occurred from the being one rooted in sin to one rooted in Jesus. It's a total transformation of the heart. New life, new heart, and a new father. The New American Standard Bible translates this verse a bit differently again, so it helps us grapple um, and understand this verse a little better. It says this, No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. Ha! A seed, right? There's a little change. What does John mean, mean by that word seed? Well, I think this, it, and what it means is that the seed represents a new nature. By the work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us this new nature to everyone who repents of sin and trusts in Jesus. Theologians call this term regeneration, and this term goes with similar other churchy words such as sanctification and justification, which describe the process a Christian goes through as they grow in their relationship with God. A born-again Christian cannot keep sinning. Now, these words should bring comfort to us, but also humble us. Perhaps this morning you've experienced maybe a twinge of doubt or conviction as we've read God's words. But there's comfort here as well, because we know, again, Jesus has won. Sin cannot and will not win, even though we stumble. Jesus will pick us up time after time and forgive sin after sin, because we are growing to be like Jesus, because our identity is found in him. We rest in his victory which is our justification before God. This is humbling truth, because if it wasn't for Jesus, we'd be toast. There'd be no hope for us if it wasn't for his advocacy. We would be forever slaves to sin and to the enemy. So continuing on in this last few verses, it says, uh, 1 John 3.10, So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. John identifies two families that we, the little children, can choose to be a part of. Are we children with the father or children of the fraud? Who is your spiritual parent? We cannot go to God's word, the Bible, or look to the example of Christ find what he says uncomfortable, and then choose to turn to sin and satisfy our fleshly desires. That is not how one who claims to follow Christ will live. Now, there's two ways to know whose child you are. Do you do what is right, and do you love others? Those who are set free from sin will do what is right and will love others. Because God does these things, so will his children. But if we don't do these things, we are under parentage of the devil. He is your spiritual father. The way you live your life will provide a clear and undeniable distinction. Now, to be clear, these words from John were not written so that you and I can check other people and their authenticity of their faith. They were written for us to examine ourselves. Am I a child of God or am I habitually sinning, or am I repenting from my sins? Friends, let me tell you, nothing good 
happens in the shadows. Sin that is hidden and festering will only get worse. God sees everything in your life already. He already knows. He is just waiting for you to come to him and confess it. It's also true that sometimes we need help from other believers to give up our sinful habits in our lives. Again, get that sin out of your life. When I've had hidden sin in my own life, it has caused nothing but pain and heartache. It's true that we all face temptations in life. Even Jesus was tempted by Satan when he first started his ministry. So what sinful desire keeps tripping you up? Whether you are a true follower of Jesus or someone who hasn't yet put their trust in him, we all have temptations that draw us to the darkness. They appeal to our most basic desires. Now to be clear again, having desires isn't sin and facing temptation, that's not sin. It's when we give in to those temptations that sin occurs. When we fulfill these desires in ways that are selfish or disobedient and dishonoring to God. Paul instructs us to literally run from sin, to do everything in our power to get away so that we aren't under the influence of the devil, to flee from our old ways. So how do we do this? We start fresh every day. Every single day we must pick up our cross and deny ourselves, to literally die to ourselves and that desire to pursue what I want rather than what God wants for me. See, the truth is we're, we're all sinners. Those of us who follow Christ understand what sin is and can call it what it is. It's evil. But even if we know that sin is sin, the, word, the world often doesn't. They need the same grace that Jesus provides to us. The world needs compassion as we help them find grace, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Though a child can go from parent to parent to get whatever they want, we can't live that way with the two options in front of us today. So who will you choose? Jesus, who promises life everlasting that satisfies the soul, or the one who is the truth and the light, or the enemy, the imposter, the fraud, Satan, the one who is attempting to deceive and destroy the whole world and will, who will one day face the mighty wrath of God and be thrown into the lake of fire. I guess the question is, who's your daddy? Which father do you, does the way you live your life say you belong to? If you're ready to choose a new spiritual parent today, all you have to do is believe and you will be saved. Today, I invite you to take that step if you haven't already done so. So today, as an example of that, we're going to worship, and then we get to watch and see someone accept that life through baptism, which I'm really excited for. But let's worship together, and I'll pray, and then we'll do that together. (sighs) Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for being our Father, the God that we have the choice to come to you However we want to call you, dad, daddy, father, parent, God, you're there for us just like any parent, good parent should be. And God, let us choose your way. God, there are temptations all around us in the world that want to trip us up, the, the evil one who wants to make us stumble. But God, let us choose you every time. That God, your way is the best way. Let's continue to walk in that light on that path and literally flee from sin that tries to keep us in bondage.
Let's show the, the world the grace that you show us when we stumble and point them to your way. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Whether you are part of our Dayspring family or just joined us for the first time, we'd love to walk with you on your spiritual journey. Feel free to drop us an email if you have questions or want more information. For those of you who choose to invest financially at Dayspring, thank you for your generosity and your commitment to helping others grow. Every gift, large or small, matters, and God never ceases to surprise us with what He is able to do because of your commitment to following Him in every part of your life. If you're our guest today, please know that we consider your time a gift to us and this service our gift to you. There is no expectation or obligation for you to give. For those of you who would like to partner financially, there are three easy ways for you to give. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen. And for those of you who still use them, you can also mail a check to us. We'd like to thank those of you who subscribe, like, and share these messages with your friends. If you are listening on our podcast, feel free to leave a review. More of Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, and we appreciate your help inviting others to check him out. We'll see you next week.